Well, what about like the term creative accounting, okay, or creative bookkeeping, where the imagination is being used perhaps, but it's to invent, um, you know, a shell corporation so that you can move some debt over there. And then before you know it, you have Enron. So this was creative, was it? Was that creative? This is Of Ink and Insight, and I'm Sin, an intuitive creator, mindfulness seeker, and expressive arts coach coming to you from The Snug, my tiny studio in St. Paul, Minnesota. Whether you think of yourself as creative or not, my aim is to clear the way for deep self-inquiry, to help quiet the critical voice and offer you the freedom to grow into an intuitive creative practice that truly nourishes you. I won't tell you all the right ways to write or make your art, but you can always count on me to provide plenty of prompts for experimentation, discovery, and sharing. My own messy writing, contemplative photography, and artwork is proof that courage, freedom, and beauty can be found in the smallest, most ordinary moments. Are you ready for more creative freedom? Then let's begin. Hi, everyone. This week, I'm trying something new on the podcast, and I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I enjoyed creating it. I've been friends with Anne Hume Wilson since around 2009, when we worked together at a performing arts organization in Austin, Texas. We hit it off right away and have been good friends ever since. About a year ago, we decided to have regular Zoom chats every Saturday morning, and I must say, it's always a highlight of my week. Anne is just one of those people who's a really great listener but also has a tremendous sense of humor and humility about herself and life. She's more wise than she'll admit, and I'm always learning something new about her and myself from our conversations. To tell you a little bit more about Anne Hume Wilson before I roll into a crop of our recent chat, Anne is an accomplished leader and executive with wide-ranging experience at some of the country's top cultural institutions, like the Blanton Museum of Art and Walters Art Museum. She's currently the president and general manager of KMFA, a listener-supported public radio station offering the best of classical music to Central Texas and beyond. In our talk, you'll hear Anne refer to some of her family members, in particular her father, who was the music editor for the Washington Post from 1946 until 1982 in addition to many, many other esteemed roles and honors in music appreciation and education. So suffice it to say, music, art, and creativity have been a big part of Anne's life, and understandably how our conversation angled toward the meaning of creativity, what creative people seem to have in common, and how each of us has navigated our own creative journeys. We begin in the middle of a conversation already in progress. So where do the ideas come from? Have you had any good ideas lately? 
you know, I'm an idea person. So I'm constantly having ideas, which is a little, could be considered a disorder in my oh. life. Uh, but oh. I, <laughs> what would the blah, blah, would that syndrome be called? I don't know. Maybe it's a, a form of ADD. Like I, I can't help but like be thinking about what to do with that and how to solve that problem. And I just, that's sort of like my natural state. I think that's why people at work get annoyed with me. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> trying to help solve their problems for them. But like, can we just, talking about. like, can we just get this done? <laughs> can we just get this yes. part done? Before we start thinking about the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. I was thinking, you know, as it pertains to creative people, I wonder what they all have in common. People who are naturally creative and or have been acknowledged as a creative person, like people who are artists or musicians or who have, you know, pursued a creative career or doing things that are creative in nature. Do you have any thoughts about what creative people might have in common? Well, I, I think that what you were just talking about in yourself is probably one element of it. The ideas of having an idea and then wanting to pull on the thread of that idea, you know, and see where it takes you. So you have to, I don't know, maybe curiosity. Yeah. Uh, would be one characteristic and I was thinking like people who trust their imagination. So yes, I was going to say confidence, although a lot of artists are not necessarily what society considers self-confident. You, know, you trust your imagination. You're not afraid of what will happen if you express right. your imagination. You know, you'll be criticized or if, you know, your imagination leads you somewhere that's kind of like a dead end or, but also, you know, you trust that your imagination, it's going to be fun, that you don't think your your imagination is going to lead you into a painful place. Or ultimately, I think people who are creative are rewarded for their imagination somehow. It has to be some reinforcement. Yeah. Reinforcement. Yeah. Well, what about like... The term creative accounting, okay, or creative bookkeeping, where the imagination is being used, perhaps, but it's to invent, um, you know, a shell corporation so that you can move some debt over there. And then before you know it, you have Enron. So <laughs> this was creative, was it? Was that creative? Yeah, what um, is creative? What is creative? Well, that's what I was going to say. What are you, only people we consider air quotes, artists allowed to be thought of as creative, which is fine. We can explore that because you are an artist and you're interested in, in, in the making of visual art. So maybe that's the area we should explore. Of it. Well, it's funny because I'm also an accountant. You are an accountant. <laughs> I didn't bring it up because I was thinking of that. I was just trying to think of another example. Yeah, but, I think the, um, the, the thread there is um, that I don't see problems as problems. Mm -hmm. so if you're freaked out, like the minute something doesn't go as planned and you're, you're freaked out by that, then you're probably not as creative as somebody like me who's like, ooh, uh, here's something, you know, like I'm kind of excited about, you know, when things don't go the way you thought. Or if problem arises, I see it more as an opportunity. 
Um, so yes, it definitely, it, it should be viewed as an opportunity. Yeah, and that, that helps in accounting because that's all accounting is. It's just a series of problems, one right after the other all day long. I'm not so sure it's math anymore because all of it is done in spreadsheets and software. It's putting a puzzle together and then putting the wrong pieces together and then later finding out that you put the wrong pieces together. So then you go back and you move the pieces to the right places. Mm -hmm. And that's basically accounting all the time. So if that's something that, you know, you're like, oh, I found an error and you get excited about that, then you're a good account, you know, creative accountant. <laughs> that's right. I, I wonder if, if creative people are also a bit rebellious. <laughs> and in my own case, I mean, this, I've been, I'm getting ready to retire. So I'm thinking about this, like, what does it all meant? <laughs> I grew up in a, family that was all about classical music, not just that, but the arts, classical music, literature. And I don't have the performing ability that some of my siblings have or that my dad had, but I've always worked in and around the arts and particularly the music field. And I mostly working through marketing, I have found that it's difficult to communicate about these creative things to what they, we call the man in the street. And as a PR or marketing person, you are trying to convey the, uh, the excitement and the visitor experience or the, you know, the buy a ticket impulse to the man in the street. And so you're trying to take these very um, often academically described art forms and make them accessible for people who don't have a PhD. And so that may be my creativity is, is as being the kind of link between the, the different, the artist and the audience. But I also sometimes think that because I knew I wasn't good at being a musician, I kind of got very, I feel very defiant sometimes. Like quit talking about this stuff as if you are the only ones who know about it. You, the artists, you, the musicians, and quit using all these big words because it really puts me off. And maybe that's just kind of my rebellious reaction to the fact that I, I wasn't really good at the practicing the art itself, but I have been successful in defying uh, traditional ideas about the arts and how to talk about them and how to communicate them. And I think you have to be willing to go against the mainstream to be creative. Well, I think in order to do that and your particular creativity is taking something that, you know, because I think all creative people may also have in common that whatever it is that they're being creative with has a whole nother language. So somebody who's able to be fluent in another language, like the visual language of art or the language of music or even the language of accounting, it's all has its vernacular and all, you know, you can go down the rabbit hole with that. And if you've studied anything like art or music for uh, any number of years, you know, like, there's a whole language to this that people who aren't in it don't don't understand. I think there's a difference between being a performer and being somebody who's able to understand that language. Your creativity is in that you understand the language of music and the history of music and the meaning of music like a musician does. Even though you may not be a performer, you're still sort of a musician creatively. 
And in that respect, you can be a translator to the people outside of the performance who may not know that language. I love this idea that you're sort of an interpreter. Yes, um, that's the word, interpreter. I like that too. For me, I, when I'm a bit of an eye roller, if let's say I've seen this happen, if you're in an intermission at the opera and someone says, I don't think the tessitura was very solid. And <laughs> honestly, that person is just having a talk with a friend who probably understands exactly what is being said, but you still, I still want to roll my eyes and say, oh, I can't wait to tell so-and-so that somebody was actually talking about tessitura at opera intermission. Why do I have that, that kind of sarcastic reaction to, it's perfectly legitimate. It just sounds so. Well, it's because there's so much more to appreciate about that particular opera and performance than to be criticizing <laughs> that one little technical thing. That well, yes. I roll my eyes because I'm like, well, you totally missed the boat. Then, you know, if this is what you're talking about at intermission, then you've missed it. You've missed the gift. When I'm in a the crowd that wants to hear that kind of talk, though, I can do it. And I, I don't I don't believe I've ever in, intentionally used the word tessitura in my life in that way. But I can speak it is kind of interpretation. I can speak the language of the practitioners and maybe maybe they laugh at themselves too you you were telling me the other day you were meeting an artist who was in your view an accomplished and honest to god artist and you were so excited because you were speaking with her in the language of art without feeling hokey or phony about it so i don't want to say that that i've flown or academic or um you know industry specific language there's nothing wrong with it i don't know why it makes me roll my eyes well i want to circle back around to something because you said that your siblings all were quite creative and successful as creative performers correct yes i have three brothers two of my brothers have made their living as musicians the third although he he is a a, a fine singer and theater artist he actually he might actually be the most creative member of the family uh, he works now in in software uh, you know he's he's on the phone when people have problems mm -hmm. there's Helping that him. piece again you know yes like yes that's true but um he never took a course in computer programming or <clears throat> or coding but as a as a kid, well, he's always been like entirely in his own world. As a kid, his bookshelves, his walls were lined in his bedroom with, with science fiction books. He read Asimov and whoever else was, was really exploding the world of science fiction literature. He, he read all of that. He would bring a book to the dining room table and read during dinner, which used to drive me crazy. And I I didn't understand why my mother didn't, you know, tell him to put the book down. Uh, he didn't get a driver's license till he was in his 30s. He would take the bus and he would read in the bus. He also got very immersed in uh, an outfit called the Society for Creative Anachronism, which was a medievalist 
a society for people who you know wanted to live alternate lives in the medieval world. He was something like the grand wizard of the kingdom of Maryland. And, <laughs> and he, um, when he got a job in computers, I was like, what, what, how did, this was way back. How did he even know this stuff? It's just like he knew his brain was wired to understand the ability to think in very alternate worlds. Talk about creative. Oh, he, he wrote a game called Bushido, which is not a video game, but it was sort of like a dun Dungeons and Dragons. I think you have to use 12 sided dice to play it. And it's still talked about when you, if you look him up on old school gaming uh, lists and things, his name comes up. Yes, those are my three creative brothers. Well, I, I was wondering if, I guess this was sort of a theory of mine that maybe people who are as adults give themselves permission, I guess, to you know, express themselves creatively, whether it's just as a hobby or in their work, maybe they're a professional musician or artist or writer. I wonder if most of those people were told when they were children that they were creative, whether it was like they built a fort in the backyard or they put on a little theatrical yeah, performance in the living room or they drew a picture or, you know, made a dinosaur out of clay or somebody like a teacher or parent or somebody they trusted told them, well, you're so creative. And when you're tiny like that, when you're young human being, to be told something about yourself that you didn't necessarily know before, you're like, oh, I'm creative. And so you sort of write that in your little heart yeah. <laughs> that you're a creative person. And now you go forth in your school and you, with your friends and in college or, you know, into your adulthood, really living your life in that truth that you're, you're a very creative person. I just wonder if you think based on your experience and maybe the of your brothers, was that something that happened for you or your brothers? That is a really interesting question. I, I would say that if we exhibited a talent, it was encouraged. And in my case, you know, I was told very early on that I was a good writer and you know that I could be a writer. I I think that has always stayed with me. Uh, yeah, and I guess I wrote poems as a kid and stuff. But I don't know if we were told that. Well, I suppose we were. If, if people said I was a good writer, or my parents said you should be a writer. Did your were I, your brothers? You know, the pick up an instrument or they yes. the musical, yeah. and everybody clapped their hands and was like, "Oh, you're so so musical." Yeah. You know, this is. Well, it's very interesting. I, I, I brought a guitar home in the seventh or eighth grade. I was taking guitar lessons. This was like strum three chords, Michael Rowe, the boat ashore kind of guitar lessons. Mm -hmm. And my young, younger brother, Peter, immediately, you know, was very interested in the guitar. And I don't know how it came out one day that I was playing a chord and he was able to identify the chord. I guess we had all taken some piano lessons. My dad or some, it was, it was interesting because whatever chord I played, Peter could say what the chord was. And my dad said, well, Peter has perfect pitch, which my dad also had. So 
and you know when Peter took up the guitar he would like come home playing classical gas if you remember that piece yeah. so in a sense he had to play the guitar you could tell my parents said yes he has to play the guitar I I never felt in my case that it was I have to write we know that if children are told you're stupid and you're bad and you're ugly that this may give them problems in life so I don't see why it wouldn't work the other way you encourage creativity and open a door to a kid who might not have otherwise thought but then you also have the kid like my brother Peter who saw a guitar in a shop window and said to my mother I, I, I want that I want that and I have another friend who's a musical musically brilliant and his parents got him piano lessons because he would he would play the sofa when he was a little three-year-old <laughs> he had seen it maybe in church or somewhere and he would come home and he would play the sofa like a piano wow that's a different kind of creative impulse i think than what interests you maybe you have to but i feel resentful that i never felt that spark of wanting to play the sofa or having to do something. Well, I was just curious, and maybe this is too personal, but uh, if your brothers were told that they were had talent and you never really got that message, like yeah. you continued to look for it. But since your brothers had this kind of blazing talent, right? So they were more acknowledged for being creative or talented in this way. Did you feel that maybe you were not acknowledged likely like they were i never did Have, having said that however my dad had a radio program on a classical music station and um he could do any topic he wanted for an hour uh, about music and there was one year when both of my my professional music brothers were were making things happen musically and dad did a show called a family affair where he touted the musical accomplishments of my my brother Michael, my brother Peter. And um, I don't really, I mean, I remember hearing the show and saying, wow, this is cool. Dad's talking about my brothers on the radio. And then I was at a the home of a, a college professor and his wife I used to babysit for. And the, the wife was like sputtering mad. Your father didn't even mention you in his program. I said, well, he was talking about, you know, the music. And she said, well, he could have at least said, well, my daughter Anne has a Phi Beta Kappa uh, from Georgetown University. Uh, and she was like so angry that I had not been mentioned in that same way. I so, wonder if she was expressing her own oh, I'm sure. experience, you know, like she has a parent who maybe left her out or didn't praise her when yeah, she deserved I, it. I'm sure of that. But to your point, does that mean my parents didn't, you know, give me the same kind of honor and recognition? Like if you come from a family of doctors and you're the one that wants to be a, I don't know, an auto hairdresser, <laughs> a hairdresser. Uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> that's what um, I did <laughs> yes are you a family of doctors I didn't realize that uh, uh, no we're not a family of doctors but it was a high value for me to go to college given, oh, that, sure, <clears throat> sure. given the privilege mm -hmm. that I had as a child that my parents did not have 
And so when I chose not to go to college and to become a hairdresser, it was like spinning in the face of people who worked their whole lives to make college happen for me. So I guess in, in oh, a way it was, um, I think it was a little bit rebellion at that time was like, uh, yes, did again, not, my mom wanted me to, to go to college and I was going to do whatever it took to do the opposite. But also my meaning at that time was I have felt a lot of tension about going to college when I really didn't know what I was going to college for. And I, I was smart and I could have probably studied anything. I could have probably gone to med school. In fact, you know, one of the colleges I wanted to attend that I had been accepted to actually was Hamlin University here in, in the Twin Cities, which is has a very prominent law school. So, you know, mm -hmm. I was, had sort of thought maybe I will do pre-law. But then, you know, with the rebellion, but then also I had this idea that I was a creative person and that I... A creative person doesn't go to college. A creative person instead goes out into the world and experiences the world so that they can bring the world into whatever it, art they choose. My interest was in putting a pack on my back and like walking down the street and figure, finding out what happens when you do that. <laughs> so being a hairdresser was a little bit rebellion, but also a little bit like, well, if I have to have a job, why not have a job that helps me experience some things creatively, meet different lots of different people and train in a, in a trade where creativity is really celebrated. And yes, it's surrounded by wonderful, um, I don't want to say creative again, but um, a lot of offbeat people in hair salons. Yeah, a lot of imagination and really uh -huh. it was it was the mid 80s and so you can uh -huh. remember that the the mid to late 80s was was a time of a lot of rebellion and experimentation. So there was like this whole punk rock scene and there was even like this so you know Madonna was like counterculture at the time. <laughs> it was really bizarre. Now we look back and we're thinking Madonna was not counterculture, but at the time she kind of was, you know, a lot of uh, Gen X kind of angst about responding to their parents and grandparents who really were came of age in a time where you just get a job and you work that job the best you can for 30 years and then you get to retire. And that was the plan. And none of us in Gen X wanted that. <laughs> None of us wanted that. We all wanted to be special and different and famous and, you know, for something. So, and, you know, I don't regret any, is, any uh, choices that I made as a young person straight out of high school. Uh, I, you know, worked in the high fashion hair industry for mm -hmm. probably only three years. So it was re really short. But then I uh, also left that to go explore like a lot of different things. I went to Colorado and I skied and I had a bunch of different kinds of jobs and I met a lot of people. So it was a bit, little bit about just not being tethered and tied down and at 18, 19, 20 years old, having made this very expensive commitment to college just didn't feel like the right thing for me. But then later on in life, it did. It felt like, yeah, I really do want to study something. I was really curious and ended up studying psychology. I, I remember as a child, 
always being highly praised for anything I did that was creative. If I drew a picture or made something out of clay or wrote a little poem or we used to do like little performances in my grandmother's living room, anything in school that was creative, art class or choir, I had piano lessons. I mean, I think it was just if I wasn't, I wasn't particularly athletic Mm-hmm. And if I was going to have any kind of physical activity at all, it was dance class. So I was, you know, in ballet since uh-huh. I can remember. And yeah. it, I love what I loved about dance class wasn't particularly the dancing, although I, I enjoyed it. I loved the music, the classical music um, of ballet. And I loved the costumes. And I loved, you know, the performance of it. I loved the experience of being on a stage with lights in front of people who are clapping and practicing really hard so that on that one night on the stage, you would really blow everybody away. That whole experience for me was really thrilling. So I kind of gravitated toward those things throughout my whole childhood and was praised more for those things than I was for my academic. So I think that's why in my adult life, I really have to have some kind of creative outlet. So my, uh, in my family, I would say the connection to the arts or creativity, it wasn't really talked about as creativity back then. In my case, I think it was, I always had the sense don't want to be unfair to my parents that it was it was really just something that was expected that the Humes would do something with music or you know my mother was a writer a published author so and my dad was a journalist so you know in my case writing was something it was just expected that I would be or do one of these things but college I had no idea you were supposed to look for a degree in college that would help you, you know, get a job. And when I was asked what, what was I thinking of majoring in, I, I, I truly had no idea. And I thought psychology, but then you have to take statistics to major in psychology. And I, I didn't want to take statistics because I was, I was lazy and also, you know, drinking too much. So English because I was, well, I like writing, so I'll be an English major. Well, that's not the thing to major in. If you want to be a writer, you should major in, you know, writing. Now that involves reading and studying other writers, but I didn't feel like I was steering toward anything. I thought about art history because, you know, one of my brothers was doing art. Well, it was kind of a combined arts studio and, and art history degree. But I never really felt that I had a direction of my own. I wanted to ask you, because when you say you, you, it sounds like you had an incredible sense of yourself, your own identity early on. If you knew enough to say, well, I, I don't want to go to college. I want to go out into the world and have adventures and be that. I I didn't have that sense of self-awareness. I, I just sort of said, well, you go go to college now because, you know, your dad teaches at Georgetown, so you can go for free, which is cool. Yeah. And uh, I might have gone to college if I could go to Georgetown for free. (laughs) But I I never had a a driving sense of 
this is what you're supposed to be doing. I don't think I realized that maybe till I turned 50. That, oh, people go to college to do something when they grow up. <laughs> well, you know, um, I did not come from a creative family. I mean, I believe everyone is creative. If you solve any kind of problems in your work or in your personal life, that requires a great deal of imagination and creativity. Whether or not you enjoy it is another whole nother thing. Uh, but innately, human beings have to be creative in order to survive. You absolutely will run into lots of painful problems um, on a daily basis that require you to think outside the box and do things differently and, and try things. And so I honestly don't think um, there's a person, you know, people who say, well, I'm not creative. I think what they mean is they're not artistic and they've never really enjoyed artistic kinds of things. But even an accountant, as we know, is uh, creative. Uh, but I didn't, my parents were, uh, my dad was more of a technical person and my mom was an administrative um, person. So she's very organized and very skilled at administrative um, things at the time, uh, worked for Control Data, which was a sort of well-known computer education yeah. software yeah. company. They were very practical, my parents. And so I think it was kind of odd that in as a child, I would do creative things that 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 I did not have more academic or technical leanings because my parent my parents obviously did. I think it's kind of I was felt weird. I felt weird that I wanted to stay inside and draw when all my friends were outside playing kickball. I felt weird when hmm. all my friends were going to college and I wanted to be a hairdresser. And I've, I think I've felt weird my whole life because the, the value in my family is, you know, you work hard in one or two jobs in your adult life. That kind of loyalty is rewarded. And in time, you will have enough money to be able to support your family and retire and all those things that almost everybody wants to do. And I was told it's nice that you're in dance class, but don't, you will not make a living at this. It's nice that you like to play piano and sing and do all these musical things, but you will not be doing yourself a service if you try to pursue that as a profession because it's too competitive and you won't be good enough. And this is not the way to make a living. I didn't pursue a creative career and, and, I always did lean more toward administrative things that felt more, that had more sort of job security. But I, I think it wasn't until maybe, maybe in the last five years or so where I've started to think, why the hell not? You know, why the hell not? Why couldn't yes. I make a living as a creative person or an artist? So it's, it sort of goes to that whole theory of being told that you're a creative person, but also being told that the world will reward you for being a creative person. And if you're not told that piece of it, maybe you told the opposite, that the world does not reward creative people. In fact, you're just inviting a bunch of suffering if you try to, you know, be an artist, then you probably will not consider it to be something you would want to do with your life. Well, that was, my family was, you know, don't worry about whether or not you're going to make the money. My dad, part of his history was he wanted to major in music and he, 
he signed up. He was a music major at, at the University of Chicago. And he apparently he got tired of fighting with his mother about it. And she was so upset. So he she wanted him to go into insurance with his uncle or something. But um, he, he switched his major to English very late in the academic path and didn't have enough reading done to pass the comprehensives. So he actually flunked the English comprehensives and never received a bachelor's degree. Now, he was one of the most distinguished music critics in the country in the last century, but never had a bachelor's degree. So that didn't matter so much as, of course, back then, but he, he was told the opposite. And so they did raise us up to say, you know, music, if, if you love music, do music. Don't listen to, ignore your, your parents, sort of. <laughs> yeah. um, but what, what I'm thinking is there's this, you're talking about, you knew you felt weird. Uh, and my brother, Paul, the computer science fiction guy, he never appeared to be phased whatsoever by wanting to just sit on a bus and read and and he was bullied in school by the, the kids who thought he was weird, but he externally acted as if he, you know, he just didn't care because he was, he was in this shell of his own. Now he did care, of course, uh, but I, I feel like you have to, as a creative, not pretend that you don't care, but you, you have to be aware that you're going to be going against the the mainstream of the world all the time, some of the time, or at some point, and you have to be okay with that. There's something you have to want enough to be okay with being different. So creativity has to do with being different, uh, creative. People who have and who are able to use their creativity to create new things. So it's sort of like an, you know, um, maybe what we're speaking about is more like innovation. So if you're an innovative person, you are taking risks all the time to create something that's never been created before in quite that same way. Whereas creating something could be that you create a thousand of the same thing. So, you know, you can be a creator um, which is somebody who just cre who creates things, who makes things, like a maker. You decide that you innovated a design for an earring, a pair of earrings, but then the creator part of you makes a thousand of them so that you can, you know, sell them as a business. So I think there's like the innovation hmm. part where you're designing something brand new that from your imagination that's never been quite made that, that way before. And then there's this sort of skillful creator part where you might be interested in spending your time making a thousand of those <laughs> or making a thousand, you know, making them in all different colors or, you know, iterating on that thing. So um, there's a level of craft involved. Correct. I think, you know, in, in most things mm -hmm. and uh, anything that I think is um, presenting you problems to solve is calling on your innovation to look at it from a different angle, to solve it in a way that is unique to the situation. So people who maybe apply the best practice to all situations aren't probably as creative as people who maybe approach every problem uniquely and see it as an opportunity to create a new solution, something that maybe hasn't been 
done quite that same way before. I think there's just people who maybe are trust their innovation so much that there's no hesitation. They're just, you know, I'm going to try to solve this in a brand new way. And then there's people who are uh, more uh, reliant on, you know, some kind of um, method or best practice who enjoy the crafting part of it, but doing it in a way that has worked for a hundred years. And so they're gonna, going to do it that way from now on. Both things I think are kind of creativity. I I feel like maybe all my life I've been searching for a way to be able to give myself permission to be more creative in my profession, to leave the safety <laughs> Of a skill set and experience, you know, a resume that really supports a job as an accountant or, a, you know, a leader in an organization where people are willing to pay you a lot of money and give you benefits. And that's a very safe place to be. And so for me, it's been very scary to leave that behind in favor of doing something more creative or something where I don't have a lot of experience right now professionally helping um, with branding or marketing or doing more writing or communications work is way more creative than the work I was doing in accounting because it requires me to make something out of nothing. We're trying to sell this yes. thing, you know, you have to cr create the copy out of nothing and figure out how to describe it in a way that <laughs> is compelling to people and accurate. So that I think is like something that I'm truly inspired to do, never really get tired of it. So I know I'm on to something, but I think all my life I've been a job hopper and I hate to be known for that because, you know, I have been in a job for three years and then I move on to something else. Yeah, I've done a sh bit of that. Good bit of that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just maybe it's been that I've oh, I've been seeking something and I try something for a little while and I'm not finding what I'm looking for. So then I maybe try something else and I'm not finding what I'm looking for. So I've been trying to take all this good advice I got as a youth, you know, as a young person, you know, how to have responsible jobs that pay you money and give you security and all this stuff. I've been trying so hard to fit myself into that mold all my life and it's never really worked just gone from one experience to another, to another, to another, always kind of like dating. It's like you find yourself dating the same kind of man over and over again, and you wonder why <laughs> it's not working. Um, and so in my career, I feel like I'm reaching a point where I'm starting to realize, oh, I have to date a whole nother kind of guy here. There you um, go. At a time when I feel a little vulnerable, you know, my mid fifties, to do such a thing, I'm actually taking a lot of risk to go out and try a lot of new things. So I, and it feels wonderful because I think I just have that spirit in me that just wants to, the curiosity when circling right back around to what you said in the beginning is. Well, it takes some vision too. And, and, and if we keep this up, I want to remind myself, maybe write down some thoughts about the, the vision the ability to see the bigger picture and know when you're on the right track creatively. I think that would be interesting to talk about. So, Well, I thank you so much for being open to recording this conversation. I love 
how we talk every Saturday morning and no matter what we end up talking about, we, I don't know, I feel like it's a good therapy to talk with somebody like you who has different perspective. I also wondered, you know, you had said something about drinking too much and I kind of wonder if creative people also are a little bit more prone to. Oh, oh gosh, that would be a whole, <laughs> yeah, that's a whole, it's a whole other conversation, but you and I've had many, uh, many chats about well, we know it's, it's the truth, though. I mean, history tells us. Thanks for listening. Find show notes, additional resources, and a discussion thread for this episode at Of Ink and Insight on Substack. While all the content you find there is self-funded and freely available, you can help support me in this podcast by subscribing at the level that feels right for you. Just one more thing. I want to hear from you. What questions can I answer? What creative challenges can I help you overcome? Is there a guest you'd like me to meet and interview? Get in touch by finding of Ink and Insight on Substack or emailing me at sin at of ink and insight.com. I look forward to connecting.